0: All right, so um, I want to start this morning by doing a recap because if you were not here last week, this is kind of the to be continued of last week. So let's just begin by by going back to to last week and giving a recap. We picked up the, the story of Jesus' birth with the Magi. Uh, who see the disturbance in the sky. They see a star that is unusual, and they follow the star because they believe that it signifies the birth of a king. Uh, they come into Jerusalem saying, where is the one who's born king of the Jews? And uh, King Herod hears that they're asking this question, and he's troubled because he's the king of the Jews and doesn't like this idea that there's someone else who's born king of the Jews. And, and he calls the Magi to him, and he tries to deceive them. He says, go find the child and then come back and report to me so that I too may go worship him. And so the magi go out and sure enough, the star leads them right to the place where where Jesus is born. But then they are warned in a dream not to go back to King Herod because he really wants to kill the baby. And so they go home another way. And last week, we envisioned that all as if we were watching it like in the theater as if we were in the seats of the audience and and this is the stage where that play is unfolding and and we see Jesus, Mary, and Joseph in the background of the stage and we see the Magi coming and we see King Herod and everything resolves. The Magi are are protected and saved and they go back home and that's the end of act one. It feels like it should be the end of the play but there's an act two and so the screen closes the curtain closes and then opens back up for Act 2, and we see that King Herod has realized that he's been duped, and he becomes enraged, and he gives this hideous command that every child two years old and younger in the Bethlehem area is to be killed. And so that, that command is carried out, but, but Joseph, Mary, and Jesus are warned once again in a dream, and so they escape to Egypt, and they're, they're kept safe. The interesting thing about Act 2 is that when that first curtain opens, what we notice in Act 2 is that there's a second curtain, and that curtain is actually between the events that are taking place here on earth and the events that are taking place in heaven. In Act 2, the second curtain opens, and we see God looking down and observing everything and and warning uh, Jesus' parents to, to escape to Egypt. So that's the story we're continuing this morning. We're going to continue the idea of uh, looking this through the lens of the theater. So we are sitting in the audience. We're watching the the events unfold on stage. Today, the events are entirely, almost entirely behind the second curtain. And they're relayed for us in the book of Revelation. Uh, so before we jump into the passage, uh, it's been a couple years now that we did a series through the book of Revelation, and I went back to that series to, to review some of the things that we learned, and th- there were several themes that emerged as we were reading the book of Revelation that they just repeat over and over and over again, and so I want to share what those themes are. The first theme is this, uh, God wins, God wins. So the book of Revelation is the uh, uh, picture of the end times of when Jesus is going to return. And and so we're living in a story where we already know the end of the story. Jesus is going to be victorious. Satan is going to be defeated. Uh, We will, uh, heaven and earth will be united. Uh, It's going to be paradise. So God wins. A second theme from Revelation is that God is on his throne. Several times, John, who writes Revelation, is given this vision of of God seated on his throne, and and so God is not an, an absentee king. He is on his throne, he's present, he's observant, he knows everything that is going on, and he's in control. Finally, the third theme from Revelation that emerges is that things are not as they seem. Because sometimes it doesn't seem like God is on his throne, and sometimes it doesn't seem like God is going to win. We look around and things seem to be going in the other direction, but things are not always as they seem. So that leads us to this morning's scripture. I'm going to read the scripture. Imagine that we are at the theater and you're watching this unplay. We're looking now behind curtain number two. This is Revelation 12. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant, and she cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, "'and seven crowns on his heads. "'His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky "'and flung them to the earth. "'The dragon stood in front of the woman "'who was about to give birth "'so that he might devour her child "'the moment it was born. "'She gave birth to a son "'who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. "'And her child was snatched up to God "'and to his throne.' The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly out of the place prepared for her in the desert, where she would be taken care of for a time, a time and a half a time, out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So did you understand the the play you just watched? that was a lot so we're gonna jump in we're gonna imagine we're watching this unfold from the seats of a theater in this act of the play the the second we see the first curtain open and King Herod is trying to kill Jesus he's got this evil scheme he's going to kill all of these children hoping that he's going to kill Jesus But immediately, as we're watching that unfold, the second curtain opens, and we see some other events taking place in heaven. Verse 7 describes it succinctly, and there was war in heaven. It's a quiet night in Bethlehem, at least we sing that it was a quiet night in Bethlehem, but it's accompanied by war erupting in heaven. John, the author of Revelation, sees a great and wondrous sign. It's a woman wearing 12 crowns. If you remember in the book of Revelation, there's two things we need to remember. One is that numbers matter. Numbers are symbolic. And two is that it is not linear. So if you try and think of this linear, like chronologically, it's going to mess with your mind. We're, We're in the future, we're in the past, we're in the present. All of that's looped together. So John sees a, a, a woman, she's wearing a crown of 12 stars. What's the significance of 12? There's 12 tribes of Israel. These are the people of God. There's 12 disciples. There's, this is the people of God before Jesus. This is the people of God after Jesus. This woman is wearing this crown symbolic of the, the people of God. The woman's pregnant. She's going to give birth to a son. This son is going to be the hope of the people of God. And there's something about this pregnancy and the birth of this son that is a threat to the red dragon. So we see this red dragon, and the red dragon is threatened by this birth of of this son. He's enormous, the red dragon. He's more fierce. He is more powerful than can possibly be imagined He has seven heads, which is a sign of his authority. He uh, has ten horns. It's a sign of his strength. Martin Luther once penned a famous song about, about the dragon, and he said, "...on earth is not his equal. He's not alone. With a swipe of his tail, he flings a third of the stars." The stars are other angels. "...he flings a third of the stars from heaven to earth." one-third of the angels in heaven join his demonic force. The dragon has one mission at the moment, and that is to snuff the life out of this this baby boy. The dragon stood in front of the woman we read in verse 4, who's about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. And then comes the moment that we gather every Christmas Eve. The time came for the woman to give birth to a son, to a male child, who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. For unto us a child is born, unto us a a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. We now have a clue as to what it is about this baby that has got the dragon so threatened. The government shall be on the shoulders of this this child. This child shall be be the king. Well, the red dragon wants all of that for himself. The red dragon wants the authority. The red dragon wants to be the king. The red dragon wants to be the the ruler. He wants to stage a coup and usurp the throne that rightfully belongs to the son. And the most opportune time for him to do that, to eliminate his competition, is when the son is a baby. So, back on behind curtain one, number one, we see King Herod taking these actions to kill the, the child, but we know what's really behind that. This just isn't King Herod against baby Jesus. This is King Herod fueled by Satan himself. And it's not just baby Jesus. This is war between Satan and, and, and God. Look at verse 5. She gave birth to a son, a male child who will rule the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. We just covered 33 years of Jesus' life in a second. She gave birth to the son, and the son was snatched up to God and his throne. All of the events of life of uh, all the events of jesus life are summed up in that sentence there's no sermons there's no parables there's no walking on water there's not even a cross it's the birth of jesus and it's the resurrection of jesus in this it is this one sentence that is the big bang that sends a shock through the heavenlies and verse seven says there was war there was war in heaven It's the war of all wars. It's the war behind every war. This is the cosmic battleground on which the arrow of history is to be determined. Normally, events in heaven determine events here on earth, but in this case, earthly events, the event of this child's birth and then this child's resurrection, has heavenly consequences. The red dragon and a third of the angels in heaven who have joined the dark side, make war against Michael, the angel whose name means, who is like our God? Michael's name. Who is like our God? Well, the red dragon foolishly thinks that his, he is the answer to that question. I'm like our God. I'm superior to our God. And so Michael and his angels are in one corner, the red dragon, Satan, and his angels are in another. The bell rings, and round one begins. The fight no sooner begins than it's apparent that the red dragon, with all of his power, with all of his fury, is no match for Michael and his heavenly force. This is a, a lightweight against a, a heavyweight. Verse 8 says it plainly, he, the red dragon, was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He's hurled to the earth and the angels with him, his angels with him. And so the bell sounds again, indicating the end of round one. Satan has lost round one. He's down, but he's not entirely out. The bell sounds, and round two begins. But now the ring in which the devil is fighting is no longer behind that second curtain. It's now behind the first curtain. The, the, the field of the battle is now here on earth, And though Satan is a lightweight in heaven, on earth he proves to be a heavyweight. Verse 12 says, woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He's filled with fury because he knows that his time is short, which brings us to the present. This answers a lot of our our big questions, the questions that always get get us tied up in knots. Why is there so much evil in this world? Why do things sometimes seem to be getting worse rather than better? Why do I personally do the things that I don't want to do? What is that, that evil that lurks inside of me? Why, if God is seated on the throne, does evil and injustice seem to so often win the day? It's because Satan, the red dragon, has been defeated in heaven. He staged his coup against God, against Jesus. He's lost. He's been cast out of heaven. He's been sent here to earth. He's been defeated in round one, but he is now unleashing his fury on the woman with the crown of 12 stars. He's unleashing his fury on the church. Ukraine could tell us, share some stories about that fury with us. What's fueling his fury? Well, he knows that his time is short. He knows he's going to lose round two as well. But for now, that round continues. He's like a a wild animal that has been backed into a corner and is desperate. So this, this challenging passage of scripture, it doesn't answer all of our questions. Why doesn't God put an end to the wild animal? I mean, it seems like an obvious question. Why send him out of heaven and down to earth where he can cause so much torment? I don't know. It does tell us that Satan's time is short. With every passing day, it's getting shorten, shorter. Satan is strong. His power is real. But what we have to remember, he is no match for God. He is a match for us. But he's no match for God, and he's no match for God in us. James says it this way. He that is, John says it this way. He that is in you, is greater than he that is in the world he that is in you jesus christ the holy spirit god in you is greater than he the red dragon that is in the world how does satan do his best work against us it's through deception it's through accusation He says to us, you are our sinners. I so love, as we were singing uh, about the blood, nothing but the blood, because what that song does for me, it reminds me of the truth. Uh, And then that chorus that was added, the blood of Jesus is enough. Like, that's enough for me. I don't need something more than what God has already done through Jesus Christ. His blood is enough. We're going to come to the table in a few moments. And at the table, we believe, we proclaim that his blood, the blood of Jesus shed for us, is enough. We don't need to add anything to that. We don't need to perform. We don't need to earn God's love, his grace, his forgiveness. What has been done for us is sufficient. It's enough. We're wise today to recognize Satan's power. It's foolish to, to, to not recognize that, that he has power but it's also foolish to fear satan we need not fear satan satan cannot win at most the only thing that satan can do if god permitted from his heavenly throne if god permitted satan could snuff my life out could snuff your life out but would we lose if he did that if god gave us eyes to see what was behind the second curtain I think every single one of us would say, There's no way we can lose. I mean, that is instant victory for us. So, for now, the battle's real. You know it. I know it. We feel it. We experience it. The wounds are real. The pain is real. But the glimpse that Revelation 12 gives us is that the victory is sure. And this battle will soon. Be over. Join me as we pray. Uh, Father God, we're not accustomed to looking behind curtain number two, and it, it can be hard for us to, uh, to understand and, and to even believe uh, the things uh, that you proclaim uh, that are going on in, in heaven right now. So, Lord, as we sang earlier, we do pray that you would open our eyes, that that we would see, and and more importantly, that we would believe that you are seated on the throne. Lord, that uh, there is no power that can challenge your authority, uh, your dominion, your sovereignty. And, Lord, that we have nothing to fear, uh, that we are safe in your arms. So help us, Lord, uh, in this new year, abide with you, stay close to you, Uh, Lord, help us take our stand in those areas of life where uh, the battle rages, uh, clinging to you and putting our hope uh, in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.